Almighty God, you alone are Lord of all. You are unshakable. You are beyond and supporting and in you all things consist in your son Jesus Christ and we just are so grateful that we can be lifted from that miry clay to the solid rock. We pray this morning that the clear flow of your word, the, the wa life-giving water would flow into hearts that are, are polluted and, 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 and choked with cares and Lord, that, that new life and encouragement and hope could flow from your throne. Speak to us as only thou canst. May your power change and transform each of us into the image of your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God's open to the book of Isaiah. Let's read together from the from Isaiah chapter 41. <clears throat> Isaiah 41. Keep silence before me, O islands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, then let them speak. Let us come near together to judgment. Who raised up the righteous man from the east and called him to his foot and gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings? He gave them as dust to his sword and as driven stubble to his bow. He pursued them and passed safely, even by the way that he had not gone with his feet. Who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. The isles sought and feared, the ends of the earth were afraid, drew near and came. They helped everyone his neighbor, and everyone said to his brother, Be of good courage. So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith, and he that smoothed with the hammer him that smote the anvil, saying, It is ready for the soldering, and he fastened it with nails, that it should not be moved. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend, thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, thou art my servant, I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that are incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing. They that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them and shalt not found them, find them. Even them that contend with thee, they that war against thee shall be as naught and as a thing of naught. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Read to the 14th verse. 
May God bless the reading of his word. Let's kneel for a prayer together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we look to thee now this morning for a blessing, for instruction, for words both of comfort and correction. What God is there like unto thee? What being is so great as thou art? Thou art from everlasting to everlasting, and thy name is holiness. We are undone when we think about these things, when we consider how small and how fickle we are, when we realize that we're but dust and here for such a short time. But Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to know that we have such a God who will hold us by the right hand, who says to us, fear not. Heavenly Father, comfort the fearful hearts. Comfort those that are grieving. Be with those that are struggling. Those who do not know where to turn, shine thy light upon them that they would look up to thee. Heavenly Father, be with those that are sharing the gospel throughout this world, even perhaps at this moment in fear and trembling in the midst of persecution, with the sentence of death hanging over them. Heavenly Father, let thy word be glorious. Let thy arm be uncovered. And may thy kingdom come, even so on earth as it is in heaven. We want to lift up in prayer unto thee now, the brethren and friends that are gathered together in, in Windsor for the ordination of Brother Allen, and we would ask for thy presence to be with them there in the work, that the presence of thy spirit would make himself known, that the church would be encouraged and strengthened in these confusing and sinful times that we live in, that they would increase and not decrease, and that thy word would go forth. Heavenly Father, we, we see from thy word how thy plan is, is, is totally unhindered, that thou dost do according to thy good and perfect will. And Heavenly Father, we often forget this, so help us to rest in that, to know that thou indeed will lead, will guide, that thou alone art the great one, the one who is above every other name. Be with us now as we would look into thy word together. Be with our brother as he would share from the same. And let thy name and thy spirit be lifted up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in perilous times. And uh, I just saw a headline yesterday about um, how shingles are on the rise. <laughs> well, what does that have to do with this passage in Isaiah 41? There, uh, I think it was Franklin D. Roosevelt said that we have nothing to fear but fear itself, and yet fear and anxiety and stress are so much on the rise that it is causing measurable health impacts, uh, physical health as well as mental health. Um, the mental health has, um, cases have doubled in this country to 20% uh, 
Uh, the U.S. is even worse to 30%. And throughout the world, people are extremely anxious to the point that it's having a huge effect. Um, they're concerned now we're going into winter, seasonal affective disorder, things are going to get even worse for us Canadians. As uh, we realize we're not in control and uh, we don't know how to regain that. This, this is having impacts, uh, the, this anxiety, this fear, this, this, this worry. Not only is it pointless, and, and we can read that in the scripture in, in Matthew chapter 6. Um, it always struck me, even from an early age, that the truth of the passage, um, the contrast of, of how we think about things and, and what we get focused on and, and concerned. And the Bible says here, um, it's talking about worrying about money as, as well, mammon, and uh, which one we're serving here and from verse 24 on to the end of the chapter. And it says, don't take thought for your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, for your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than meat and the body than raiment? It says, uh, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to a stature? It's, it's pointless. All this worry and anxiety and stress and fear, does it actually accomplish anything? And, it, and, and Jesus is saying, it doesn't accomplish anything. Clearly, it takes away from your, your joy and actually paralyzes you, um, as well as giving these, these even phys to physical and mental health. But he says, I say to you that, you know, you know, consider the lilies. <laughs> you know, they don't toil or spin. And yet I say Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Wherefore, take no thought or worry or preoccupation or concern about what shall we eat or what shall we drink, wherewithal shall we clothe. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your, in other words, the unbelievers, those who do not uh, follow God and, and, and believe in, in his word. For your heavenly Father knoweth you have need of these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So we see that, that worry and stress is unproductive. It doesn't actually accomplish something. Jesus pointed that out. Um, and it's an example, he said, of lack of faith. Now, does that mean that we don't think about um, providing for our families, um, meeting our physical needs? When he says, take no thought, does that mean that we don't plan? We don't look ahead into the future? Are we supposed to live uh, an itinerant lifestyle without a roof over our head like Jesus did, who didn't have um, a roof or a, a, a pillow? Um, uh, that foxes has dens, but, uh, but, but he did not even have a roof over his head. But I, I, I don't think that's what he's saying here. Rather, it's our, what, about your mental state. The difference being what you're trusting in, where your confidence is, and where your focus is. That's his point here. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
mental anguish. <clears throat> uh, the scripture talks about that in 1 John uh, chapter uh, 4, actually. It's talking about the torment that fear can have. The 1 John 4, if I can, it's telling us to love one another. God is love if we say we love and we don't. We say we, we love God and we don't love our brother. We're, we're liars, right? Um, and then he says um, further on uh, in 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Can, can you relate to that? Do, do you, have you ever felt tormented by your fears? Our fears can come in different forms, different ways. We can be afraid of um, our circumstances. Uh, you know, uh, certainly the pandemic and the fear for health is, is, is an example of that. The fear of, of, of physical want, of, of not being able to provide and have the things we need, the fear of, you know, uh, insecurity, of societal collapse, all these circumstances, uh, fear of, of social ostracism, uh, fear of what other people think uh, is got a huge part of the tormenting aspect. Um, and the scripture plainly says in Proverbs that the fear of man is a snare, it's a trap. Uh, as we get focused on what people think, and we know Satan uses that. In Ephesians 6, when it talks about uh, the battle, the battleground, it says, be careful that you don't think people are your enemies, that you're not wrestling against flesh and blood, because that's typical. And in other places, you know, when you get bitter, when you get focused on this person hurt me, and I have a hard time releasing that. Uh, and I want to see that person suffer. This is, is poisoning you. This is a spiritual a root of bitterness that goes deep. And you've got to be diligent uprooting that negativity, the self-pity, the condemnation of others. That's going to destroy you from the inside out. So our fear of what people think causes a lot of torment and spiritual damage. And then there's the fear, not just of circumstances, what's going to happen to me, not just the fear of people, people are judging me and people are, are uh, uh, what are they thinking and what have they done to me. There's the fear, your own fear of your own ina inadequacy. Fear that you don't measure up. Fear you will be discovered to be a fraud and an imposter. That you just aren't good enough. That you don't measure. And, and uh, this is where I want to turn to our, our main passage here. Um, as God addresses this small people group, Jacob. He says, don't worry, you can handle it. Is that what he says? 
you, you know, you got this. Is that what he says? Does he inflate their sense of, you know, adequacy and, and encourage them that just, you know, just, you know, if you think you can do it, you can do it. Just visualize it. Is that, is that the wisdom that God imparts? He says, you worm. You worm, Jacob. Don't be afraid. How does that work? In fact, it's interesting. Fear not is a command in Scripture. And there are 365 verses in the Bible saying, telling us not to be afraid. Like, that means you could memorize one for every day of the year. 365. I don't know if that's coincidental, but there's a challenge. The challenge is not only just to know God's Word, but Scripture tells us, and we, we read it together uh, not too long ago in Philippians 4, that, that when we choose, in place of being anxious... We have a command there, do not be careful, do not be anxious. We choose instead to bring our cares to God with gratitude, and we choose to guard our thoughts, to filter them, Philippians 4, 8, through whatsoever is lovely, pure, just, of good report, then it keeps, it protects our minds. So that is... God's prescription for mental health. And here, as we look at what, what God is saying, he starts off talking about how he is really the one who calls it from the beginning, who knows the future, who's so much in control, he can say, you know, Cyrus, 200 years from now, he's going to let, let you go. You'll be in captivity for 70. He's, he's so in control, he can give you dates and names in hundreds of years in advance. We, uh, I guess it was in, um, in the Colorado retreat that Brother Mark Igich had a, a very detailed presentation on the 69 weeks and how, you know, you take that in the prophetic 360-day years and you get the exact date from, uh, that Daniel predicted the exact date that of the Palm Sunday from the date that uh, the edict went out to restore Jerusalem. Precise. We're talking now 69 times 360 days. We're talking about 1,000 years or uh, hundreds of years in advance that God is so precise. But what does that say about God? Is he stressed out about pandemics, social collapse, you know, political movements, your economic situation, um, the, the, the problems that you are stressing out about, both external and internal, do they stress get out? No. But yet, how do the people respond? The aisles, these are the people who are, again, the unbelievers, the foreigners, um, who don't know God, uh, they, they're afraid. And how do they respond to their fear? Now, verse 7, I've seen misapplied many times. Isaiah 41, verse 7, 
I've heard many people use this verse out of context to say that Christmas trees are evil. Okay, this is, this is the proof text verse if you want to tell people not to use a Christmas tree. It's found in verse 7, so the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith, and he that smoothed with the hammer, him that smote with the anvil, he is ready for the soldering, he fastened with nails. See those, those Christmas trees, they're tinsel, decorated, and they're hammered to be kept upright. And, but no, this isn't talking about Christmas trees, it's talking about idolatry, okay? They're talking about the response of the human heart to external threats is I want to get control, so I set up an idol. I set up something that is greater than me, but yet I can control. That's the paradox. It's too big for me, but I, don't, I want to be in control. It just doesn't work, right? It's too big for me, but I want to stay in control. So the, the, the idolatry is I'm going to appeal to something that is still not completely outside my control, but that is bigger and that, that you know, is, can handle things. Now, I mean, paganism is actually on the rise nowadays and we almost are getting, coming full circle. When I was young, like you'd never think, you know, that was like, you know, 4,000 years ago, we haven't worshiped statues for thousands of years. And, and yet, you know, we're starting to see many of these things come back in this cycle. But, but it's not just statues that goldsmiths and um, carpenters make. All right, that we, it's what do I have confidence in and trust that is going to take care of the things that I'm worried about and that stress me out, right? Am I going to trust the work of my hands or human hands? We can encourage each other. We can, we can trust in a confederacy. That's a, a word you'll see also in Jeremiah, you know, that we, you know, we're gonna, you know, we, we're gonna make deals. We're gonna get people to be organized. You know, and I'm, I'm not talking about climate change, but you know, we, we can somehow get people together, and through these alliances, we're gonna be able to face down these problems that are too big for us. And God is saying to Israel. You're my servant. I have called you. I've chosen you. You're a worm. <laughs> it's not like you're better than anyone else. But I have chosen you. Fear thou not, because I'm going to bless you with military strength, with credible, um, for I am with thee. Where, where's the confidence in? That's where my anxiety, my stress, my mental health suffers when I'm trusting in me or some sort of alliance in which I am a part or that I'm going to be in control. When I can truly surrender fear is when I trust that God is with me. I can acknowledge that I'm a worm. I don't have the capacity to direct, um, you know, 
and change the, the, the tsunami of social uh, change and societal corruption and civilization collapse and you know and I can get stressed out and I can read headlines and 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 get myself all bent out of shape about you know, what are we gonna do about societal collapse or I can believe the Word of God that, that it's not like he's surprised he, it's not like he doesn't have a plan it's not like this is something that, you know, oh no, God's getting worried. Things are stepping out of, no, God knows. And there is a plan. And he has told us things are going to become darker before the dawn. Things are going to get worse before they get better. That at the end there will be a great falling away. That the love of many will wax cold. That there will be, um, that, that uh, the powers that are against us, know that they have very little time in Revelations 12, and therefore they will focus their efforts on silencing God's people. This is not surprising that there is becoming a very strong anti-Christian sentiment on the rise and that, that it's no longer socially acceptable to believe. And... and we, you know, it's, it's not new. We've seen this in the Eastern Bloc countries, how you were ridiculed and considered an ignorant fool for, for believing that there is a God. And the fact that that is coming here in a different, soft, totalitarian way is not cause for us to be dismayed. The word dismayed there is, is, is talking, uh, it's a Hebrew word, um, which is, is saying that... Um, that it's a katha, which is to prostrate, it means to break down, either literally by violence or, in this case, mentally by confusion and fear. So Satan wants you to feel intimidated to the point that you break down. This is his, his plan, but you don't have to. Not because there's a political savior in the wings, but because you have the savior in your heart. He is with you and you can stand despite the pressures that are gonna be brought to bear, despite your own weakness, despite your own inability. God in you, God with you, but now with Jesus Emmanuel having come, God in you, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter being in you, how much more can we say? He will strengthen you. You may be a worm, but if you are a worm strengthened by God himself, then all the united nations, um, energy-focused attacking you cannot succeed because God will strengthen you. You don't have to fear your own inner weakness. Yea, I will help you. Yea, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. God, uh, the Bible often using the right hand there for the, the powerful hand, the uh, and, and it's his righteousness, again, 
You don't have to fear your moral collapse, not because it doesn't matter, not because you're not responsible for your moral choices, not because it's once saved, always saved, and uh, no, because God is going to help you. You have to avail yourself of that help. Romans 6, um, which you know clearly talks about baptism, as we heard last week, you know, the death and resurrection, and that the resurrection power gives you, means that the chains of sin are broken, the dominance of sin, the dominion is broken. You now choose to yield yourself, to, to, to allow, to put yourself under God's protection, enablement, and to choose to yield your members to righteousness instead of the things that you were ashamed and had no fruit in. And so that you can now overcome the enemies, which is what he's talking about and in a, in a literal sense for, Jew, for the Jewish people, but for us, you know, in the, in the spiritual sense, <clears throat> the kingdom is within us. The kingdom we are overcoming is not now this little piece of territory against you know, although, you know, we've seen amazing things in 67 and so on, but, you know, the dramatic things that God has done in making the desert to bloom, as it kind of even talks about here in this chapter, but, but you and I are part of a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual kingdom that is not intended to be cowering behind locked doors, but to be on the offensive that we can actually go against those who may speak against. We, we don't have to be afraid of taking a stand for what we believe. We, for I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand. So his right hand is holding your right hand and helping your right hand, the offensive hand, the attacking hand, that, uh, you know, and saying, don't be afraid. Now, verse 13, I will help you. Again, I will help you. I will help you not to, to, to fend off the enemy. I will help you to speak the truth in a way that cannot be gainsaid, that no one can really resist the logic and light and clarity of what you believe, that can cut through the fog and confusion of this present age, and that you can be a light, and that you can... Free the captives, and you can rescue. <clears throat> Fear thou not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel, I will help you, saith the Lord, third time, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12 talks about how God is going to shake things that only the unshakable remain. We certainly see things being pretty shaky these days, but that's okay. God has a plan. The question is, are we going to be on the rock? It's a choice. God has chosen, in the past he chose a, 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 a genealogical descendancy of of, of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he has now chosen those who put their trust in him. 
they are the ones who are taken out of the, the, the clay and put on the rock and that as they choose rather to be focused on what they will eat or drink as the Gentiles, but to seek ye first the kingdom of God, they are going to be on a rock. God will provide for them, whether here or in eternity, but they don't have to be afraid. Let us choose wisely where we put our focus. Colossians 3, those things that are above and where we put our confidence. And if we choose wisely where we put our focus and our confidence, then we can overcome the, the fear that torments, debilitates, and paralyzes us. And we can instead go on the offensive for our God. And the Lord bless his word. We've heard a very clear message this morning to fear not. <clears throat> but even if we fear not, I'm talking now to the believers, we have a choice. There was a verse that stood out to me. I'd like to reread it, the eighth verse. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen the seed of Abraham, my friend. Think about those two men. I'm so thankful both are preserved. Their stories of their lives are preserved for us in Scripture in great detail. Genesis, Genesis devotes a lot of time to both characters. A lot of similarities, but some stark differences. Think about it. Two men both called by God, leave their homeland and their kin, go out into the wilderness, as it were. Both given a special son that their heart longed after and valued and prized. Both received that son back from the dead, as it were. But what a contrast between the two. Jacob, a man that was no good by nature, to show us the greatness of the grace of God. But Abraham, the one who shows us what man is capable of when he opens his heart fully to God. Jacob spent his life being broken by God. But Abraham calls God's friend. Even if we don't fear, we still have choices to make. How we will respond to this great God. And it can mean a difference between a life of blessing and joy or a life characterized by difficulty and pain. Again, think about Jacob and Abraham. Think specifically about their sons. Abraham called to sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah. No one saw what he went through perhaps that night. Maybe out under the stars, away from his wife even. How he struggled, wept probably 
before God. How can this be? But somewhere in that darkness, he came to a conclusion. He said, I will obey God because he has been good to me and because I love him. But I know he promised me this son, so I will kill my son as he asked, but I trust that he will raise him from the dead. And that morning he could go with his son and with the servant right to the foot of Mount Moriah and turn to the servant and say, in all good conscience, wait here and I and my son will return again. the faith that made him the friend of God. What do we see in Jacob? Years, decades, pining for a lost son. Pain and hurt. Sons that conspired against each other, that even tried to kill each other. What a difference. Yes, it's important we don't fear. But then where do we go on from there? Do we go on in the power of our own strength, thinking that, well, we can do it with a little help from God? Or do we throw ourselves out on the mercy of God, expecting, as it were, that he could raise one from the dead? That is the faith that God looks for. That is the faith to which he ascribes righteousness. That is the faith that will allow the God of the universe that we have read about to say he or she is my friend. Now that, that relationship is one that never need way, give way to fear. That is what I hope and pray for each one here. That we would follow not just without fear, but as Abraham did, with a heart full of faith and love for the God who loved us first. May the Lord add whatever was lacking, and may he dismiss us now with his blessing. Amen.